0: To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be all glory and power forever and ever. Amen. can't think of a better way than beginning with those words, to him be all glory and power forever and ever. Amen. The basis of our message this morning is the same this week as it was last week. It's this topic of Holy Communion and of the themes that underlie it. And we're going to look once again at the same little short verses that are phrased that we looked at last week. But let me read the context in which we are given those verses again. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 25. Follow along as I read those again and we listen to God speak to us. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, Took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, we're looking at specific portions of those verses. In fact, uh, two identical phrases do this in remembrance of me. And as I said last week, I'd like to to translate those or rewrite those in the more technical way the Greek presents it do this in my remembrance. And we'll talk about that in just a minute here as to why that is. We'll do a little bit of a review. Last week, we looked at the, the, the half of the phrase in my remembrance. And uh, this week, what we're going to do is the other half, really two-fifths of this verse, uh, do this. And really, in all honesty, I'm not even going to spend any time with the do, because that's self-explanatory. And good southern vernacular, I can tell you the meaning of that word, get or done. (laughs) I'm sorry for butchering the beautiful southern accent with my eastern Iowa accent, but that's what it means, right? Just do it. So I'm going to spend the next 25 minutes talking about this. And that's scary, this is. Not the this, but that a pastor can stand up here and talk for 25 minutes on one word. And all I can say is to you is, my name is Mark Schroeder and I'm a recovering seminarian. In your defense, I hope you prayed for this message. For those of you who weren't here last week, I want to give you a brief overview. It'll, it'll be helpful, and I think it'll, it's important for that. And for those of you who were here last week, uh, what I want to say to you is, is uh, remember. We're going to talk. Uh, begin, first of all, by uh, reminding ourselves how it begins. It begins with characteristic of human beings. And uh, we have capacities, and we have needs. One capacity that we have is, is the capacity to remember. We've got the cognitive ability for us to think and remember past events, past people, people in our lives, past, past places, all kinds of things. We've got that capacity to remember in the past. That's something that we is unique to human beings and we can do. But then there's an, also a, a need that we talked about, a need that's at the center of our core, and that is the need to be remembered now we've got lots of needs but we're only going to talk about this one or we only talked about one last week and that is the need to be remembered now the reason i brought that up is is because in this little phrase do this in my remembrance we can translate that two ways one reflects the capacity that we have and the other reflects the need that we have i can summarize the capacity that we have when jesus says do this in my remembrance He could be meaning, and it's not completely clear in the Greek, he could be meaning the way it is we normally interpret it, and I think that's true. Do this in order for you to remember me. But there's also a possibility for it to be interpreted another way in which Jesus is saying, do this in order for me, that is, God, to remember. And that gets back to those two parts. Because, you see, when we come and we gather and we receive Holy Communion, if both of these are true, then we could say, this is something that should be a great blessing to me. It helps me remember, and that's good. And also, I can be affirmed if God remembers me at this time. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. The second interpretation you might be questioning and say, is that really possible? I mean, how is it that God can remember me? Or why would we say God remembers I mean, it sounds a little bit strange. God is omniscient. He knows all things. Uh, Does that mean God forgets? Well, we did a word study last week, and when we did the word study in the Bible, it showed us that, indeed, a couple of things that are true in this term remembering. It's not really talking about it in terms of the cognitive as we think of it, but really God is able to remember, and there's many verses that show us that God does remember. Remember? And in our word study then, we also saw that it's, it's not so much that God forgets and brings to recall, but as he focuses in on something, that's the target of his cognitive activity at any given moment for some reason. Then we also saw a second thing, that every time God remembered something, there was always some kind of response by God. And thirdly, what we saw last week is, is that it's okay for God's people to ask God to remember at times. And it's okay. Now, that's a summary of what we looked at last week in my remembrance. And wow, I did that in just a few minutes. Those of you who weren't here last week, you just saved yourself a whole bunch of time and a whole bunch of verbiage. But we do need to push on. And now we're going to look at the do this. Well, what is the this referring to? Well, it's referring to this simple little right where God and his people come together and take bread and break it and distribute it and eat it. And then take juice or wine and distribute it and drink it in the context of the words that God has given to us. It's very short, very concise, very interesting, and what I'd like to propose for you, loaded with meaning and in fact so loaded with meaning that to me personally it's stunning absolutely stunning so what is this or what is behind this this well in order for us to get at it what we need to do is talk about relationships in the bible and particularly relationship between god and his people in the bible in the old testament god Speaks about how he rela- re- relates to people, and he relates to his people in a couple of different ways. This parallels some archaeological discoveries that they've discovered in other cultures in ancient biblical times, but we aren't going to worry about that. We're just going to worry about the Bible. And there are two ways in which God related to his people in Old Testament days. And what we want to do is to take a look at those two ways. They're really two covenants one covenant is a covenant relationship is called the covenant of divine commitment and the second is a relationship of human obligation and those two relationships are defined in what's called a covenant that's kind of the contract or the agreement which lays out the terms of these two uh, types of relationship that God establishes with his people Now, before I go on, what I want to do is explain this diagram so it's clear to you. You see in the upper left-hand corner of both halves of that diagram is a very interesting, simple, artistic rendition of God. It's kind of like God-light. God has lots of attributes, but this artist has reduced it down to just two attributes of God and said, let's be satisfied with that. One is represented by the black circle, A circle has no beginning and no end. So God is eternal. He has no beginning and he has no end. And then the second attribute of God by which he primarily wants to be known is reflected by the red arrows. And that is love. God is a God of love. Out of this God comes this love which is overflowing, constantly, ongoing, outward. And these are the two attributes that are reflected in this circle with red arrows, so that's God. Now I can go on to describing the two covenant relationships. One is, is the, the covenant of divine commitment, or the relationship of divine commitment. That's all one way, just a one-way relationship. God says, this is going to be the characteristic of a relationship I'm going to give to you, and you have no responsibility in terms of maintaining the relationship. A good example of that we looked at last week in Genesis 9, the Noah covenant. Remember, Noah got, uh, and, uh, God confronted Noah and said, I make a promise to you that I will never send another flood to destroy all living things in all the world again. That was a covenant of divine commitment. I promise that the nature of our relationship is, is I will never do that again. Didn't make any difference. When Noah did, God says, I'm never going to do it again. And that still stands true, doesn't it? Or King David was another one. God said to David, you're always going to have one of your offsprings on the throne. And David did all kinds of horrible things in his life, but God has never changed that relationship with David. It is true that he will always have one of his offspring on the throne of God's people. But then there's that other covenant, the human obligation covenant. That's a two-way covenant where God says, I will do something for you, and then God defines and says, I want you to do something back for me in response to my love to you. I want you to love, too. And notice the red arrows in that second half or the lower half of the diagram. God says, I will love you, and what I want you to do is love. And the arrow goes in two directions. Love God and love your neighbor. Now this is uh, more articulated in the covenant that God made with his people on Mount Sinai after he brought them out of Egypt. That's in Exodus chapter 20. Let's take a look at that covenant and read some of those verses that uh, God has for us in that covenant. Uh, First of all, the the chapter begins with God's part. And a lot of times we skip over this. This is the, the part of the Bible where the Ten Commandments are listed. But what we do is we oftentimes skip over this first verse And that's the the first half of this covenant of divine obligation or relationship of of human obligation. God says, this is what I have done for you. I, the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So God says, I've begun the relationship, and it is that my love that has started this, and this is great. And then God says, okay, now what I want you to do is, is I want you to fulfill your part. Then we get into the human obligation part. And the human obligation part is the Ten Commandments. And there's two subparts of that. One is love God. And uh, you know the commandments depending on how you divide them have no other gods, have no images, don't misuse my name, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then comes the other part, God says. Here's your aspect. What I want you to do is love your neighbors. So honor your parents. No murder, no adultery, no stealing, no false witnessing, no coveting. That's the part I want you to do. And that covenant was ratified there at Mount Sinai. We're going to talk about that in a little bit later on. But it was ratified and the people said, yep, we'll keep our end of the deal. Thank you, God, for keeping your end of the deal. Would you continue to love us? And we will respond by loving you and loving my neighbors. Well, the question is, tell me, uh, how did that work out? How did that work out? Remember, if you would, how it worked out for those people that wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Did they keep to their end of the deal? Uh, Did they love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind? Uh, Not so well. Oftentimes, they ended up worshiping other gods. Sometimes they were... Just rebellion and, and wild parties. Sometimes they, they uh, attacked the authority of Moses and Aaron. It didn't work very good. Eventually God says, I'm fed up with you. You're never going to make it into the promised land. And they all died in the wilderness. What about their offspring? How did that work out? about during the period of the judges? Remember after they settled in the land and they were in the land enjoying the blessings of God that he poured into their lives? Tell me, how did it work out? Well, not so well, did it? Over and over and over again, the people fell away from God and started worshiping the gods of the people who'd formerly lived in that land. And God would punish them, and they'd repent, and he'd send a judge, and you'd think that'd be great, but then they'd do it all over again, they'd fall away, and they'd repent, and God had send a judge to deliver over and over and over again, didn't work very well. How did it work in the time of the kings? Did it get any better? David, Solomon, Solomon's, off, uh, Solomon's son, then all the other kings. How did that work? Well, not so well, did it? The people kept worshiping false gods all throughout the history of the nation. And ultimately ended up in exile in Babylon. Well, it was finally when they were in Babylon that God said, publicly. This isn't working out. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is what's the alternative? Because God did have an alternative. God could have taken his people and said, I'm just fed up with you. Off to hell you all go. But God is a God of love, isn't he? He cared for his people. He said, so we're just going to rewrite the terms of the relationship because this first one didn't work. And so he spoke through the prophet Jeremiah and he said, here's the new arrangement and it's this other kind of relationship between God and his people, a relationship of divine commitment. We need to look at that. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 31 and let's look at what this new covenant is going to be all about. And it's in those verses that God defines the new way he's going to relate to his people. God says, uh, said to the people when they were enslaved, he says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was A husband to them. A couple of things about that. First of all, God says, someday in the future, I'm going to rewrite the terms of our relationship. So he's foreshadowing or prophesying that something's going to happen in the future. And what he's prophesying is going to happen is is a new relationship, as I just mentioned. And then he goes on and he gives the context for that. The reason why he has to do that is because the people couldn't keep their end of the deal, even though God always kept his end of the deal. And then he goes on. Let's look at the next slide. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. And now we're going to go into three parts of the new covenant. It's got three parts. Part one, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Uh, God's going to do something to help them to obey. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Secondly, I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. So there's going to be a relationship, God says here, between my people, and it'll be an intimate relationship. We'll talk about that too in just a minute. And then the third part, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That's part three. Now let's look at these three parts I want to start with part three first because that's the essential condition. It's that little word for indicates that in order for the first two to happen, the third one must happen. And it always begins with dealing with sin. You see, a holy God cannot allow anything to happen with a sinful creature. So there can be no basis of any kind of relationship until God first deals with sin ultimately. And the good news is that God says there's going to be a day when I gather with my people and rewrite the terms of the covenant and one of the first things that I'm going to take care of is is I'm going to make sure that I don't remember something. Now we go back to that good news remember last week when we said this is the biblical understanding of remembering God says I will focus when I remember I'm, I'm focusing in, on something specific it's not like he, he forgot it because God's omniscient it's just that I'm going to pay attention to something. something well now if God paid attention to your sin what's the response that God must follow through with well it's very clear The book of Romans makes it clear. He says the wages of sin is death. So if God remembers his people's sin, he must respond by death. Spiritual death, physical death, social death, emotional death, eternal death. But God says when I put this new covenant together, I choose not to remember, and that's good news because if God chooses not to remember, then there will be no response. And praise God for that, right? Praise God. That's the first part, essential part, which leads into the, ex- the other part. We're going to back into it, part two. Part two is this talk about, you will be my, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the second part. And in that second part, we can move to the next slide there. Uh, in this second part, God says, first of all, I will be your, your God, their God. Now, this is good news. There's lots of gods in the world. And uh, you can have lots of gods. Uh, you can have money as a god. You can have fame as a god. You can have power as a god. The Hindu people have gods that look like monkeys and gods that look like elephants. Asians have a god with a little pot belly. There's all kinds of gods in the world. But I'm here to tell you, there's only one God who's a God of love. All the rest of the gods of the world are slave drivers. And they enslave people and they make their lives miserable. God says some good news. He says, these people who are in a relationship with me are going to have a God. Me is their God. And that's good news because I'm a God of love. And I want my people to be satisfied. Second part is, is... I choose them, these people, to be my people, which is an amazing thing because if this God of the universe who's eternal, who has all power, who has all glory, brought into the existence this world with just a spoken word, if this God chooses you to be his person, his child, a member of his family, that makes you significant. Doesn't make any difference what all the world says about you if they walk by you and never do anything to you to encourage you or strengthen you or bless you. It still doesn't matter. You've got the king of the universe picking you and saying, you're important. And that makes us feel good, doesn't it? Have the God of the universe say, you're my child. And then it goes on. He says, you're going to know me. This is a marriage term. We're going to have this relationship just like marriage. The Bible says Adam and Eve knew each other. They knew each other physically and mentally and emotionally and in hard times and good times. They knew each other intimately. You get to know God. Did you know that? This infinite being with all power, you, those who are a member of his family, get to learn about him and understand him, and you know what? It's going to take an eternity for you to get to know him well, and what a delight that will be. There's a relationship here, and God says in the new covenant, I'm going to make it happen. Jesus later on says that, you know, really, this is eternal life. Jesus defined eternal life. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowledge and knowing God, having a marriage relationship with this king of the universe. And then part three, very quickly, we're going to take, or part one, I'm sorry, we're going to take a look at this last thing. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. What's he talking about? Well, this is simply obedience. There's two problems with obeying. One is, is do you know what you should do? And then the second aspect of obedience is, is do you want to do that? That's the mind and the heart. Now, you might say, well, it's really easy to know God's will and what he wants me to do. Well, I would say sometimes it isn't. If you've ever raised a child, you've come to a point as you don't know how to love your neighbor. That is that child. uh, And it's not easy. Sometimes you need to love that child by issuing discipline. Sometimes you need to give in to the wishes of the child. Sometimes you need to come up with a creative alternative to love that child. It's just not simple and clear. Same way with uh, working with the neighbors around you. Sometimes they may do things to make you mad. And then in that moment, how do I love my neighbor? Well, sometimes I may need to speak to them and say, let's fix our relationship. Or sometimes you may need to love them by just saying, I'm not going to do anything. Just let it go. You know, it's just weakness. It's not easy to know. And God says, I'm going to come and I will put my law in their minds to help them understand what it is that they should do at any given moment. And that's a great blessing. And then the other part is in their hearts. That is this. Uh, once we know what we should do, sometimes we don't want to do it. But God says, I'm going to take care of that too in this covenant relationship. I'm going to come and I'm going to engender in my people the desire to obey. And boy, do I ever need that. And I suspect you do too. So those are the three parts of the covenant. We summarize part one is, "As I will put my law in their hearts and minds. The second part is, is that... uh, Um, let's move to the next slide here next part is is, uh, I will be their God and they will be my people and third is is I will remember their sins no more now we need to move on here but I have one last question for you in this new relationship with God's people who's responsible for completing part one God Uh, take a look at the verse who's responsible for completing part two God In part three, who's responsible for completing part three? God. You can't see the surrounding verses, but let me tell you, what's the part that humans contribute in this new relationship between God and His people? Nothing. There is no obligation. Because if your relationship with God was contingent upon what you do, it would never work. You're no different than those people in the Old Testament days. And so God says, I've got to change the the rules of the game. There's going to be a new covenant someday. And when that happens, I take responsibility for all aspects of the relationship. Well, I'm just about done. And we're just about ready to begin communion. And it's time to pull everything together. I need to talk about one more thing to do it. And that is, is how covenants were ratified in the Old Testament days, so we're going to look at that and then roll into communion. In uh, Old Testament days, there were lots of covenants, lots of covenants between God and His people, a bunch of them. But of all the covenants, there were only two that had a formal rite or formal ceremony in which God and His people went through this ceremony to put the relationship or put the covenant into effect. One of those places is recorded in Genesis 15, and the other is recorded in Exodus 24. Now, we don't have time this morning to read those. Let me just summarize, and later on today, you can go back to Genesis 15 and Exodus 24, and you can read it yourself, but allow me to summarize. The Genesis 15... Account or formation of a covenant and approval or ratification of a covenant was between God and Abraham, and this is the situation: God comes to Abraham and says, "I'm your very great shield; I'm your reward," which means I'm going to bless you richly, Abraham. And Abraham understood that, but he was kind of nonchalant about that because he responded to God and said, "Well, what good does that do me? I don't have any offspring." Are you going to take all these blessings that you're going to give to me and you're going to pass it off to Eliezer, my slave or my servant? And God takes Abraham and he takes him outside. It must have been, It was at night. As Abraham looked up in the sky and God said to Abraham, Abraham, see all those stars up in the sky? Your descendants are going to be that kind of a number. And Abraham heard that promise from God and it said Abraham believed God and God credited Abraham with righteousness as a result of that. But then God goes on immediately after that and he says, oh, and by the way, I want to add to that. I'm going to promise to give your offspring a land. Now, very interesting response of Abraham. You'd think that Abraham would believe God and God would credit to him as righteousness. But Abraham didn't. He said, sovereign God, How can I know that you're going to give my offspring a land? Well, I can just see God going like this, you know. It's like, you just believe that I'm going to give you offspring like the stars in the sky, but when I promise you a little bit of real estate, you can't believe that? But God didn't do that. Very patient, very loving, very kind. He says, okay, I'll give you something to show you and reassure you and affirm to you that that promise also will be fulfilled he says Abraham go get me a heifer and get me a ram and a goat and then also two birds a dove and a pigeon and all of a sudden Abraham knew exactly what was happening and Abraham went and he got the the heifer and the ram and the goat and he killed it and then he did something interesting he he took the bodies of those animals and he broke the bodies And then he set the bodies down opposite of each other with a a path in between. And then killed the birds and laid them down there too. It was a a messy business. Terribly bloody and messy. These split carcasses laying there. The birds were flying down, the text said. And uh, Abraham shooed the birds away. But then he fell into a sleep. And what happened next was that uh, God came in a smoking fire pot and he passed between those dead animals. And he said, I promise to give your people a land. And Abraham was assured. Abraham knew what was going on because, you see, that was the formal way to sign a contract in those days. That's the way it worked. And what happens is, is everybody knew it, and this is the way they did it. They would go and get a heifer and get a ram and get a a, a sheep and a goat, and they would Cut the animals in half and lay them on sides of the path. And then the terms of the covenant in in front of witnesses would be read. And then the two parties that wanted to enter in formally, that is, it's kind of like signing the contract on the bottom. Now, I kind of like our way of doing it a lot better, but this is the way they did it. Then when they agreed that this is the terms of the covenant, when they wanted to sign the covenant both parties would walk through these broken bodies and they would hold up their hands and they would say, may I become like one of these animals if I don't do my end of the agreement? And when the people did that in front of everybody, everybody knew the contract was in effect. And Abraham knew that and he knew exactly what God was saying when he passed between those animals. I promise to give you a land on my word. Then there was another way, Exodus chapter 24, that a covenant was put into effect. Again, there's only two in the Bible. This was Exodus chapter 4. This was the ratification of the, the, the relationship of human obligation at Mount Sinai. That's recorded in Exodus chapter 24. And uh, this is, was uh, how it worked uh, there was an altar set up. And the people were facing the altar. And uh, this time when they ratified the covenant, they didn't do it with broken bodies of animals. What they did is, is they used blood. Uh, the people would uh, take bowls and they kill the bulls, and they'd, they'd take the blood. And uh, Moses was in between and he was supervising the, the ceremony at the time. And Moses took the blood and he poured it into a bowl. And he took that blood and... T- he uh, sprinkled it on the altar to show that God was obligating himself to the covenant. And then he turned to the people and he said, Okay, people, you know the terms of the covenant. Love God, love your neighbor, that's your part. Do you agree to participate in this covenant? And the people said, Yes, we will. So Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people. And the people knew that because the blood was shed over them and sprinkled on them, that that covenant was in effect between God and God. And them. And now I want you to listen to these words. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink of it all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you. Do this in my remembrance. So do you see what Jesus is doing and the disciples caught it and I want you to catch it too. That when God comes to you With his broken body and his shed blood, he's saying to you that a new covenant is in effect for you. It's got three parts. He says, I'm going to come and I'm going to help you obey. Every day of your life, I'm going to help you to obey. He says, another thing, he says, you know, we're going to have a relationship. I'm going to allow you to be my people and I'm going to be your God, the loving God, and we're going to have a, a close and a loving relationship like marriage, which is so satisfying. And then the third part, this is why, why it can all happen, is because I remember your sins no more. And all of that's good news, isn't it? And, and here's the signature on the bottom of the document as God brings it out right here. See it? It's signed. It's there. It's there. It's real. There's no doubt. You can believe. And that's why we do communion. So as we take communion, we're going to go into it now. I want you to receive it and remember the new covenant. Maybe you're here today and you need to hear the terms of the covenant. Maybe you're here because you sinned this past week big time and you're feeling guilty and full of shame behind it. When you're here, remember that term of the covenant. God says, I remember the covenant. I remember your sin no more. Or maybe you're feeling like you're not so special, not so significant, that maybe God has forgotten you, and maybe you're struggling with it. Maybe you'd like to know God more, and you, you would love to know more. Maybe that's how you're feeling. If that moment, remember the new covenant. God's waving that document in front of you, isn't he? He's saying to you, no, you're my child. You're one of the most significant ones in the world. And I choose to be your God. <laughs> or maybe you've got some sin that's dogging you and you, you're afraid this week, even though you would like to obey, uh, you, you're afraid that maybe you'll fall back into that old same routine all over again. And if you're struggling with that, then look at the new covenant here, right at the top. I will plant my law, in your, write it on your mind and plant it in your heart. I'm going to help you obey because that's the terms of the covenant. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to help you to obey. You remember that. And then also, as we receive and participate together, I give you permission to ask God to remember. God, would you remember? <laughs> if you've got that sin in your life, you want to be, have forgiven. God, remember the covenant. You said you would remember my sins no more. You said you would forgive my w- wickedness. Call him out on that. He'll say yes. I will remember that sin no more, and you can come away assured. You can also ask him, say, God, would you help me? Please remember your covenant. Help me get to know you better. Draw me close. Help me to read the word. Help me to pray. Help me to have that loving relationship with you. Help me. Oh, God, ask God to remember. He will, and he'll spring into action. If you're afraid of failing in the future, ask him, God, remember the covenant. Be with me in this week to come. Would you help me to obey? God, remember, you promised that. Come, help me. And I promise you, he'll remember, and he'll respond. That's what Holy Communion's all about. Do this in my remembrance. We're going to go ahead with communion at this time. Those are helping with the distribution. You can go ahead and bring the bread together.